Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw Audio Experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my latest podcast episode, I give my take on Truth in Advertising's complaint that energy drink brands are marketing to children. But before we get started, I would love if you took 46 seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review on whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. Who is Tina and why does she seem to hate the energy drinks market? For those that maybe aren't up to date on this news, here's a bit of a quick recap. In mid-December of 2022, Truth in Advertising, aka Tina, and the Yukon Rudd Center for Food Policy and Health sent letters to more than 40 energy drink companies urging them all to review their marketing. Why? Well, Tina believes these energy drink companies are engaging in deceptive and unfair marketing tactics that are targeting minors. While 40-plus energy drink companies were targeted, none so more than Ghost. Tina didn't just send a warning letter to Ghost. They also filed a 22-page complaint against the brand with the FTC and the FDA. The complaint letter detailed how Tina believes that Ghost targets minors through a multifaceted, deceptive marketing strategy. It includes Ghost's utilization of licensed candy flavors, its partnership with gaming lifestyle brand FaZe Clan, and usage of certain social media influencers. Beyond that, Tina also believes that Ghost failed to adequately disclose that its products are only intended for healthy adults and may be harmful to children and also that they make unsubstantiated and unapproved health claims about its products. Again, that is Tina's point of view. And before I share my thoughts around Tina's point of view on the marketing tactics of energy drink companies, let's talk about why Ghost was specifically targeted, what implications that might or might not have to the brand, and also really like expanding those insights to potential impacts on the entire marketplace. So why did Tina target Ghost? There are essentially like two schools of thought here. Firstly, Ghost was the brand that brought licensing to the energy drinks market. And then secondly, Ghost is growing at over a thousand percent year over year with a run rate of about $350 million in only its second full year in market. Now, Tina concludes in its complaint letter to the FDA and FTC by saying Ghost would not be targeting children with its unfair and deceptive marketing were it not economically advantageous. That means Tina doesn't care who's first. They are focused on its commercial impact. Now, I need to probably preface everything next by saying that I'm not here to question anybody's integrity, but you must really like understand something about consumer advocacy groups or just people as a whole. Yes, I truly believe they care about consumer health and safety. 
There's no debating that. But just like me not creating every piece of content on every kind of interesting tidbit of functional CPG news, or the FDA or the FTC not catching all industry wrongdoing, or maybe even lawyers not targeting every company in a class action lawsuit. We are all dealing with a finite number of resources. That might be time or money, or it doesn't really matter, but really it comes down to prioritization. Now I cherry pick content ideas based on what's most interesting to me. A regulatory agency might get a tip of wrongdoing or see a marketplace pattern from enforcement measures. Now, Lawyers might see a headline of a company doing extremely well and look for flaws to attack. And nonprofit consumer advocacy groups might get a tip from a person or an entity, whether they are a donor or not. Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner. Tina, eat. Now going back to those ghost sales growth numbers, it essentially makes them an extreme outlier and really scares the shit out of the competitive landscape. You can then read between the lines on my opinion on how this likely got on the radar of Tina. So what are the implications of this Tina complaint letter for Ghost? Now, everything I say next is coming from a position that thinks Ghost did not engage in deceptive and unfair marketing tactics that in any way targeted minors. But regardless of what I think, I mean, we have to understand, like, does this slow down sales? That's a tough question to answer, but Let's really consider a few things here. Unlike myself, the overall marketplace isn't as knowledgeable about the FTC or FDA regulations. They will read the headlines, the complaint letter, or whatever else online chatter, and form an opinion based on something other than regulatory understanding. Now, from a consumer standpoint, and based on the current information that I have in terms of like the reach and awareness of the story, it would affect an immaterial level of sales from those consumers that do believe Tina is correct and will decide not to buy Ghost. Now secondly, and kind of adjacently, and this is maybe where the sales growth could have a material impact, is if a stakeholder within the value chain believes Tina is correct and will decide not to support Ghost. Maybe that's a retail buyer, maybe that's like a layer of distribution. Those things can create resistance to total distribution point growth. Now thirdly, more so than anything, it could slow growth trajectory because it's a distraction. Even if a retail buyer doesn't believe there's any risk attached to the Tina complaint, they will ask Ghost about it. That response by Ghost wastes time they could otherwise be utilizing for growth plans with that retail partner. Similarly, Ghost, regardless if they think Tina's complaint is bogus or not, leadership and management teams will review all business strategies and tactics to ensure things are buttoned up. Now, broadening this up to the energy drinks market, both unnamed and named brands in those complaint letters, it could also have levels of direct or indirect impact to sales growth from market confusion. It might also slow down the ability to attract flavor licensing partners that now would like to stay away from the kind of like risky energy drinks market. All of this would be beneficial for energy drinks market leadership that isn't really interested in playing the flavor licensing game. But this might be a good time to better explain my perspective on Tina's point of view on the marketing tactics of energy drink companies. To help add a layer of depth to this section, I asked Daniel Fabricant, who is the president and CEO of the Natural Products Association, to join me for an insightful conversation on this subject matter. Here's a bit of that. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So I certainly appreciate any group that's looking out for the well-being of America's youth. And really, if there's any like data-supported changes to if it's product labeling or associated marketing materials or anything like that that needs to happen... Like as a thought leader that does spend a lot of time in the energy drinks market, I would be pulling levers on my end to be a positive change agent. But when I was at least reading those like 40 or so letters that got sent by Tina to U.S. energy drink companies, to me, they were filled with a ton of like misunderstandings of be that like FDA or FTC regulations, or they really just like made collective blanket statements that were baseless. And again, this is from my perspective, but enough of my thoughts. Uh, the NPA just sent out a letter, I think probably about two weeks ago at this point to Tina. I'll make sure to link that in the content description for anybody that wants to read it in its entirety. But I wanted to have Daniel on because I wanted to really get his thoughts and, and just get a little bit more depth and understanding about why they kind of took that approach against Tina. So Daniel, appreciate you joining. Josh, thank you so much for having us. And yeah, I think it was important because, you know, their ask was FTC, FDA, open up a case. FDA, obviously, given my background, having been at the FDA and worked on liquid dietary supplements and energy drink guides. It was a hot topic in 2013 when I was at the agency, largely because of caffeine content, but other factors came into play. And, and like you said, it was kind of blanket. Like you hit, you treated all of these 40 companies like it was an identical issue. And you go, well, wait a second, it's got to be a little more nuanced than that. And you're going to accuse people of being, you know, FDA works in two ways. A product is either adulterated or it's misbranded. Well, we're not dealing with adulteration, right? Like they weren't saying that, hey, there's too much caffeine here, it adulterates the product. So it's misbranding. So let's deal with the misbranding. And that's what we did because their suppositions were largely based on, well, there are these flavors and nostalgic flavors, right? Like, hey, we've got Starburst and we've got uh, Warheads, not to mention any brands in specific. I'm just speaking generally. And other confectionery candy flavors, and that somehow renders the product. It's implicitly targeting children in a wrongful way. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. And they use the example. My favorite was they use the example of a juice box vape product, which is a nicotine product. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That product, I mean, you know, it came, okay, one, I'm not a vapor. But at the same time, you know, you're going to compare a vape and have it come in the exact same packaging as treetop apple juice. That's misleading intentionally. You're going to have a can of an energy drink that has a flavor I don't think anyone's confusing it for a confectionery product. I don't think like that was their lead. That was their tip of the spear. And it was like, guys, come on. Like, that's just, you know, the only thing false and misleading there is that somehow flavors make kids think, oh, my God, it's candy. I should have it. It's fine. Right. Like, so that's really where we were like, no, no, no. Let's let's get to the facts. If you have challenges with, look, 
and we deal with the supplement space all the time. You know, based on the size of the packaging, the labeling may be really small, it may be tough to read. I, I've entered the age where I need reading glasses, unfortunately. <laughs> My kids make fun of me. But so if that's something you want to work on to make the, the, the font bigger, fine. We're happy to look at that. If you have data, like you said, and that, it all goes back to what you said. What's the data-driven solution where everyone's for the children? I always like when one side, like somehow the industry is against children. Huh? Like, where does this come from? Like, oh, the industry's deliberately out to get children. Not going to work. So given that, I think we were we were a bit taken aback. And obviously, we, you know, it's beautiful disclosure. We have members who were hit with those letters. Yeah. But we didn't target anything specifically because, like you said, it was a generalization. It was an overgeneralization that, hey, the practices on their face are, you know, duplicitous or in some way meant to mislead. That wasn't the case. And and bigger point, and attorneys never like when you do this, but there's a legal standard for what's misleading. Yeah. So we try to point that out step by step with FDA law. And I hope we did that. I think we did a good job with that. But beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Love to hear your take on that because you know you've got your finger on the pulse. And you know, so many others do too in this space that look, people are looking for. We just came out of a period where gyms were shut down for the better part of 12 to 24 months. People want to get back to their their workout routine. They want to get after it. They want to hit it hard. You know, it's not like the products are saying, hey, you 12-year-olds that didn't go to the gym under COVID, now it's 13-year-olds, really need to use a, a, an energy drink product and get to the gym. I mean, this isn't the message. So I think that's where we kind of jumped in. Yeah, and I love the point that you made in the letter talking about that these companies do not have a history of marketing to children, which, you know, I think anybody that spent time in the CPG industry, there's a, there's a vastly different approach to marketing to children over marketing to, you know, able-minded, able-bodied adults, you know, that you, that should be able to make decisions. Like it's a completely different um, way that you would market to somebody. And when I initially read that, I kind of chuckled at least from them saying they're targeting children because you know, I could tell the difference, but I understand most people maybe don't and they're taking it for face value of like, yeah, maybe that is that candy that maybe could draw them in or whatever that is, but it doesn't have much legs to that argument. I felt like it was something where it was, um, it was an easy point to make, um, but didn't really have any actual, you know, depth to it or meaning to it to anybody that actually would be listening and, and taking it seriously, if that's from, you know, the retailer's perspective or a distributor's perspective, or even I think most customers that are probably, you know, well-educated and, and have been buying these products for a long time, but they they use that and maybe it's the least common denominator or whatever, but I, I felt like you making that point about them not having that history. I mean, why would they go and try to, to do something that they're not familiar with? Uh, thank you. And, and yeah, we wanted to make that point because I think you're right. It's like someone's accusing you of being deceptive and it's like, okay, I'm deceptive. Like all of the companies have one thing in common. They're good at marketing to the sports nutrition, dietary, supplement, sports nutrition space. This is not something they're familiar with. So how is it misleading? Like they've had success in a very, I don't want to say nuanced area because I hope more people want to stay healthy than not and want to exercise than not. But Right. I mean, it's really a, it's an odd 
it's an odd fit in that, okay, somehow now, because we're making an energy drink, we're an expert in marketing children. That really, like, it just didn't play, though that was the argument of Tina, because they were like, well, we're for the children, the industry isn't. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And also, the, the licensing agreements, right, with any of the nostalgic flavors are done with companies that are traditionally CPG companies, traditionally understand how to market with children, and had no problems licensing the likeness because they knew and here's the other side right i you know our job we deal with fda we deal with ftc we deal with state courts playing a spark there's got to be an evidentiary burden and the evidentiary burden is okay who was actually confused what studies what data what data sets exist that say hey children were confused by this and also when you have a statement right and i don't tell you this josh the cpg world if you make a statement that has Usually, the, the highest amount of weight you can give something, the top of the pyramid is a statement, a clear statement saying, this is intended for X. Not speaking for everyone who got a letter, but it's my familiarity with most of the products that got a letter, they have a statement about who uses the product. Not for children, though some say over 18. Whatever their legal structure is, that's clearly defined there. So I, I think that that plus the fact that the other side had no data going, we surveyed, you know, 19,000 kids nationwide, and they think it's just a, a candy that didn't exist. So you go, wait a second, where is this coming from? And ultimately, I mean, you know, we look forward to the response from Tina, I'm sure we'll get one, but, um, you know, what's that going to cover? I imagine most of those FDA arguments are going to fall, you know, fall flat. Yeah, it's interesting. And then you get to this idea of, and, and not all 40 of the, the people that got sent letters have any licensing agreements to uh, flavors and things of that nature. But, you know, flavors as a whole and nostalgic flavors or just candy or confectionery flavors have been around for ever. I mean, that's, it, it's hard to separate as all of a sudden now it's marketing to children. But yet for the last you know, 20, 30 years of, of energy drinks and even further than that on powdered supplements that they weren't. It just seems like it's an interesting timing where like all of a sudden it becomes this big issue in their mind where I, I think everybody's been acting appropriately and accordingly to the regulations for all this time. And now all of a sudden, maybe there's a licensed flavor logo on there and, you know, the, they're going crazy. Yeah, well, right, and, and we put the comparison in there, and it's, look, I, I drew from my background, I grew up in Miami, a lot of places with champagne cola, a lot of Caribbean places champagne cola, nobody thinks champagne cola is champagne, no children walked in going, hey, so so you're right, I mean, flavors have, have you know, evolved over the years, and we have so many options now, and it's great, because there's no, you know, we used to have, when I was at FDA, there was always a saying that there's nothing in the statute or the CFR that says, products don't have to taste good, right? <laughs> that's not, and, and I think that that's important is like, yes, manufacturers should be able to evolve flavor-wise and not be saying, well, you're changing your flavor, so now you're, Ill, you know, you're in, inappropriately targeting children or some, uh, some age group. I, I think, and that was really the, you know, that was the thrust of their argument. Sure, they splattered in some other stuff, but realistically that was the thrust i mean that's what they pictured on their you know on most of their letters and you go this is not 
it's not appropriate. Furthermore, it, it really dilutes the message. I, you know, I said to someone the other day, and I think it, it, it kind of ties into it. You know, I'm a little older than you, Josh, but I remember in the 80s, there were the bumper stickers that said skateboarding is not a crime, right? Well, now apparently retailing energy drinks, we need a retailing energy drinks, it's not a crime, right? Like that's effectively what's going on is people are looking for, they know the issue gets media attention. So they're going to try to, you know, any anything they think is a crack in the veneer, they're going to try to drive water through. And unfortunately, this was their latest attempt. Now I think I'm going to start a bumper sticker company um, and have that. So I don't know if you want to do a rev share split or, or something like that, but I, I might take that idea. I don't know how many will sell. I don't know if I sell a few of them, but um, right. I think it's a good idea. I mean, and that's the thing is there's going to be so much evolution in this space. There's going to, like everyone wants to go functional. And it's funny too, being here in DC, we see the flying days for all the different food groups, for dairy, for every other beverage, you know, it's getting to the point where we really need to have an energy drink or functional drink fly-in day and, you know, get that up there that, look, this is not, you know, this is what people want. A lot of, the, you know, the majority of the country doesn't want to go get a cup of coffee anymore. You know, sorry, everyone else in the coffee sector, like there's a transition and that's okay. Like people want to get their caffeine from another source, their functional, you know, their functional nutrition from another source. Um, I get it. It's different, but that doesn't inherently mean there's some, you know, that there's something wrong with it or there's something inappropriate with it. I think that that's really it gives us a, in the industry, we've got to get that message out that, look, we're, um, you know, these are the same canneries, right? Like the energy drinks are made in the same canneries that are making everyone's favorite soft drinks. Yeah. Same, same part of the business. Um, the GMPs are there. Um, the, the safety, you know, really the safety is there on the ingredients, whether it's through a grass notice or an NDI. Um, so what's, you know, where's, if you will, where's the fire? Yeah, I think the, you know, energy drinks for the longest time have always had a little bit of, I think, a societal kind of, at least initially, it was a party thing, you know, where Red Bull, that was the approach they took, at least initially. And then over time, it's become legitimized and legitimized as a, an alternative to coffee. And you start to see those at in boardrooms and conference rooms. Yeah. And, and it's now not something like, wow, that guy must have had, you know, a tough night out or he's trying to get, you know, whatever. All of a sudden now it becomes a little bit more legitimate. Next year, somewhere will be around $20 billion yeah. industry in the U.S., and still, you have a lot of subsets of consumers that have a previous, I guess, thought of it and are still trying to knock it down and believe yeah. it's this evil thing that, again, I mean, you mentioned it, safety, efficacy, all these different things. I mean, everything is put in place that these products, if consumed responsibly, like anything else, is going to be great. Yet, for whatever reason... People have a vendetta against the the category because of previous um, you know thoughts of it. Whatever it is, I mean, there's still things um, not only in the U.S. but in other countries as well that still are looking at energy drinks and saying this is this isn't something that should be out on the market. No, and you make an excellent point. It's like the matrix has somehow become, and the matrix of the product has become like the determinative factor. So if I stick vitamins in a cup of coffee, it's okay. Yeah. But if I do it in a in a beverage that same level of caffeine somehow, right. I mean, that's really the issue. And I, I think, you know, it, 
look, I think a lot of the, a lot of the folks in the industry have done a very good job of getting the message out and clarifying what it is. But I think, you know, and here's the other question and dealing with it, you know, NPA is coming up on almost their 90th year in, uh, you know, in three years. Um, we've seen in the supplement industry, 70 plus percent of Americans use supplements. There's still some in the industry that go, well, it should be 100 percent. Well, that may not be realistic, right? I think I think if if being in the energy drink sector, the functional beverage sector, um, learning from the supplement industry, you're not necessarily going to get to 100% of Americans are all going to appreciate functional or, or energy drinks, uh, functional beverages or energy drinks. But, you know, there's a large percentage, I'd say probably 50% of Americans use them or have used them. That's a pretty good place to start, right? Like, so I think I think there's there's an education there that both external and internal that look, there's a high degree of confidence in the products, high degree of safety, you know, and confidence in the safety of the products. And so how do we build on that versus kind of, you know, we have to respond to a group like Tina because unfortunately that leads to, you know, class action suits and everything else. So I mean, that was a big part of what we did is like, hey, how do we how do we kind of go look? That's great. And we're all for protecting the children. We've had a truth in advertising program here going back to 2008. Um, and we think it's great that people are looking at truth in advertising, but a flavor is not, you know, on its face misleading. And I think that that's the message. And also the message is not everyone's going to like the industry. And we've got to be okay with that. We have to continue to grow. We have to continue to keep our guardrails up. Like you said, the message is about, you know, who uses the products, you know, not for, you know, kids under 18 or kids in general, not for pregnant or expecting mothers. Like those messages are there. If there's something we need to change in font size, I think most of the people who got a letter would be okay with that. But again, there could, doesn't mean they're not compliant with federal, state, local laws, right? Like, I mean, in terms of FDA, I think that's what we laid out there is these products are compliant. There's not a there there in terms of misleading. And that's really what we wanted to get out there. Well, I appreciate your time, Daniel, and all the information that you shared with my audience. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Josh, and, and look forward to it. And uh, we'll follow up as soon as we get updates on this issue. While I'm not an MPA member, you can obviously hear that we are in alignment on this topic. Now, I don't want anyone misinterpreting anything in this content for me saying that efforts by Tina have any malicious intent behind them. In fact, I applaud nonprofit organizations like Tina for their important role within the business ecosystem. Within business history, there's no doubt been advertising examples that we could peg as deceptive or problematic to society. But this kind of spray and pray method of waging war against the energy drinks market doesn't seem like the right approach. On a kind of ending note, if anyone from Tina does see this content, if you have some data supported changes that would be beneficial, I'm more than happy to work together in some capacity to improve marketing within the energy drink space. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 